Um, the Bible says in Hebrews how God spoke in diverse manners and ways to the prophets and men of old. Praise God at sundry times. The Bible says God spoke at sundry times and in diverse manners. He spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And the Bible says, and he has in these last days, the Bible says, spoken unto us by his son. And why? Because of the responsibility on the son. The Bible says he has appointed him to be heir of all things by whom are also made the worlds. Hallelujah. The heir of all things and by him all the worlds have been created because he carries that responsibility. He speaks to us by him. And, and that's a deep thing to think about. God speaks by men of responsibility. God speaks by those he gives responsibility. The less the responsibility in your life, the less God will speak to you, on, to men through you. Praise God. The ministry of God upon your life comes according to the responsibility that has been given you by God. To whom much is given, much is required. It's expedient of the Christ to reveal himself to us, to speak to, other, to us, that we might be both ministers and witnesses, the Bible says, of those things we have seen and in the things in which it doth appear. Christ becomes an ultimate experience. The person of Christ becomes an enjoyable everyday experience for us to know him, touch him, test him, see him, that word of life. He is alive. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he is well in our hearts. We believe him. We, we are witnesses of what we've seen. We are witnesses of what we've touched. We are, we are witnesses of the things that we have experienced by him. Praise God. So tonight, I, I wanted to share that, of course, God speaks to us differently. He speaks to every individual in this room differently. He speaks to you probably differently from the person he's seated next to you. But he does speak. Tell your neighbor he does speak. Yes. But God no longer speaks without the person of Christ. In other words, everything spoken to us by God in the present truth, in the present world, in this dispensation, under this covenant, always carries the mind and in intermediation of the person of Christ. Anything outside the person of Christ becomes a problem. Christ is the absolute, not plus, okay? And that is why religion has become fallen. And that is why many people have detached and been alienated from the life of God. The blindness in their hearts has taught the person of Christ plus many things, right? If you were a Roman Catholic like I was, we had the person of Christ plus the veneration of Mary, right? We had Christ plus the Holy Eucharist. We had Christ plus the seven sacraments. You remember? We had Christ plus the indulgences. We had Christ plus the penitences. It is Christ plus. Christ is supposed and is absolute. He is the only one through whom God uh, works. The Bible says there is no name by which we are saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. The Bible says nobody gets to the Father except through him. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, I have been blessed and chanced in this life uh, of the gospel to see and experience um, God a certain way. And, and for me, it has defined a huge, huge, if not every and all part of how I minister. And sometimes he has spoken to me as I'm reading the word and the voice comes very clearly. 
And sometimes you're walking and the Bible says in the back of your ear you shall hear a voice tell you go this way. Sometimes you're driving your car and then the Lord speaks to you very vividly. There are many times some, uh, we've, I've been in dreams and then somehow he comes and brings visions in dreams and I see very remarkable things. There are times uh, I'm falling asleep and a line falls into my spirit and I wake up immediately. It wasn't what I was dreaming about. It wasn't what I was thinking about and probably I'm probably falling asleep and I'm thinking of, you know, uh, ice cream. And then in there he just throws a revelation that has nothing to do with what I was thinking about. There are even instances that I've just woken up out of sleep and I'm going to do something and then an encounter hits me. There are times I'm seated alone and then things come and I take so seriously the things that get me off guard because it means by the time God impresses my spirit or soul, to receive that way, it is very important that he does not want me to miss it. I told people the grace of God has been given you and I so much and mercy toward you and I that he wills that you come to the knowledge of him, right? He does not will, the Bible says that any man perish, but that they may all come to the knowledge of him. Praise God. And therefore, if it means God doing whatever he has to do to get a message to you, he will do it. Somebody shout hallelujah. He will do it. He wills that we all come to a certain knowledge. He wills that we all come to a certain understanding. He wills that we all come to a certain apprehension of things. He wills that we all understand things a certain way. That is the mind of God. He wills it. And so, as an individual, I have been blessed, so, so blessed, so, so blessed, that God has spoken very, very clearly of certain interesting things in life. And I believe those are the things that have become the foundational line of why we teach this way. I tell people that the apostolic is an unctioned ministry. You cannot be apostolic and you're not unctioned. And being unctioned is very being very vulnerable. Being very vulnerable draws you in a place of so much dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, for a teacher, they will read as much and out of that much they've read, there's a qualification. And when that qualification comes because of how much they've heard and read, there's enough confidence according to what they read. The apostolic is not like that. You can read as much and still stay vulnerable in the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the band of unction, the person of unction, many a time when you are in that office of the apostolic, your student times are not your ministration points. Who understands what I'm saying? What he teaches you many times is not what he wants you to teach. You understand? Because you are dealing with, this is him talking to you. That's personal conviction. It is not, cannot be what you are ready before men. It's very rare time when he will teach you what he wants men to know immediately. Because at that particular point, there is a place that seeks the working of those things by you and in you before you communicate and minister them to the hearts of your hearers that they might be edified by faith and not have questions that come through um, because men have not had the clear understanding as we teach things that we carry no affirmation of. Huh? Okay? The Bible says, desiring to be teachers of the law, they do not know what they say neither from whence they affirm. You must carry the affirmation of the spirit as you minister. And so the apostolic is very vulnerable. It's like the prophetic. 
you don't know where God is going to start from, you don't know which direction he's going to come from, you don't know where and how it's going to happen, all you do is you just raise your hands in faith and believe God. And so, but that vulnerability is very special. Why? Because when you continue experiencing God in that vulnerability, and it becomes one year and becomes two years, it builds a certain confidence in you, and your confidence is no longer in the things that you speak to the men. Your confidence is in the God who will speak when you avail yourself. You understand what I'm saying? That is why when Paul is speaking of his ministration, he says, when you're talking about words, I was not a man of plausible. I was not a man of very persuasive words. You understand? That your faith should not be in what? In the wisdom of men, but that it should be in the power of God. Praise God. That your faith should not dwell in how I deliver the sermon. No, but it should dwell in your understanding of the power of God, the operation of the Holy Spirit that is ministering to your heart, eh? that is stirring in you the most holy emotions. We will never have a full apprehension. Oh yes, in the scriptures, there is such men as mighty orators. Right? And being a mighty orator is a great gift. It's a very, very great gift. If you have, some of you, if you've had men like Ravi Zacharias, when that man starts speaking, I can just sit there and I admire everything the guy speaks. Very amazing fellow. When he starts speaking, I see this is a mighty orator. If he was in the days of Jesus Christ, he would be Apollo. You understand? And then people who are gifted like that, you can say, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But you see, until you hear them, the guy is very eloquent. When he starts talking, you're like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? I don't think that some of us are actually in the class of the eloquent. No. But we can articulate, you know? We can articulate. We, we know how to speak certain things a certain way by the grace of God. And yes, maybe sometimes the eloquence comes, but even when it doesn't, our strength and ability is not in the eloquence, eh? Sometimes it's there. Sometimes you can feel and you feel like your, your, your tongue is just sliding and things are flowing. But sometimes you can call school school. <laughs> Praise God. Sometimes school can become what? School. <laughs> Praise God. But more than that, our confidence is not in the word spoken. At least the apostolic is not like that. Our confidence is the things we've seen and touched concerning the word of life. We speak way more than we say in words. Praise God. We speak way more than we say in words. And some of you are witnesses of that. There are many things that a man would be speaking, but there are many ways in which a man would receive those things. And everyone is understanding me in their own category. Praise God. Some people, you will say, oh, and, and that's grace, you know. God has to give you the grace to be able to communicate to everyone. Even the babe, there, is, there are things I will say and that babe will understand. There are even things that I will be saying and somebody like, oh, what is he saying? But then somewhere, I find you somewhere and also make sense to you in, in your understanding. Praise God. But I was speaking of this vulnerability and I said, it's a very special place before God because the more vulnerable you are, the more you see God work through you than your ability to work. The more you understand that you're not able except by God. The more you become conscious of what, how serious the things of the Spirit are. The more you learn to yield to the Holy Spirit deliberately without being pushed or anything. Then you understand very clearly why the scriptures say that without me you can do nothing. He says I'm the, the what? Vine. And you are the what? The branches and he says without me you can do nothing praise God so um, 
So some of the sermons and experiences that fall through, they come to you as an individual to check you out. Praise God. By the time you're qualified to minister it, you're not ministering it because God gave it to you to minister it, but you're ministering it because you have fully carried the full revelation and understanding of that area. You understand? When you give it as you've received it without the understanding, you will not give grace. There's a certain grace that will not flow out of your words because you are releasing what you've not fully apprehended. You understand? I've had instances many times where for example, I'm going to sleep and then poof, a, a sentence comes and I was, it was besides what I was thinking. I'm probably I'm thinking about a car or a shoe or something else. But then God brings you something or then sometimes God just carries your spirit and throws you to certain places in the spirit. I've seen those things a lot. Sometimes I'm in the dream and in the dream I get visions about individuals. Some of you, I call you personally. Uh, like yesterday, it was about three. I get a vision of somebody crying you know, and the Lord confirmed to me they were really crying. But you see, th those are events that are special according to what God has ordained for you as a minister. And something like that happened two weeks ago. I was in my bed about 5 a.m. I wake up and I believe God had woken me up that morning. And when I wake up immediately, he did not wait for me to even think. You know that point when you've just woken up? Eh? Eh? It's as though your brain is just switching on, eh? For you to either think of the day or think of the event or plan whether you should go to the kitchen or, you know, your brain is, you know that, who know, do you understand that moment when you've just woken up and your brain is like a, a computer switching on, eh? You're trying to load files to actually even get to know where am I, what am I doing, am I alive, am I a human being? You know that moment? So I just woke up. And the moment I woke up, a very loud voice spoke. And when that loud voice spoke, in what happened, he carried me out of my body and took me a certain place. Now, I tell people, the word will, ne you will never flow in the spirit and person of revelation until the word of God becomes an experience. I have shared that many times. But I pray to God that somebody one day understands. Some of you do. Some of you do. But the reason why God gives us experiences in the word is that we will have the full revelation of his heart and feeling concerning a matter. Not only his mind concerning the same. You see, you can read the word and then God tells you this is what I intended for it. But when you don't understand the feeling of God after something, there are certain things that miss out in the detail. You understand? For example, you read God and Jesus says, oh, you know, and he was moved by compassion and healed them all. Until the compassion of the person of Christ engulfs you, you will never understand the faith that gets a tumor out of a person's body. You will never understand the faith that raises a dead body and the revelation of the love in that compassion. And then you will know why he says in Corinthians 13, 8, that love never fails. There's a power that is available in that love that the compassion of the person of Christ healed them all. Now what we see is compassion. 
and there is a man in this room who has compassion, but the definition, your definition of compassion is your human understanding of compassion, all the things that you've grown up to call compassion, but they're not the real experience of the compassion of the person of Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? But when you read the word and he gives you the ultimate experience, you will feel like he feels. A couple of years ago, many, many years ago, when I started walking, learning to walk in the spirit, I, th I think I've said this story once or twice. Um, many, many, many years ago, uh, I remember we were at a conference and there was this preacher preaching and I was in the congregation and I remember the spirit of the Lord telling me, let me reveal my heart. You know, the revelation of the heart of Christ is very key. Very, 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 very key for the Christian faith. Because when the heart of God is revealed to you, many things, you will change many things. Most importantly, in how you deal with people. Whether they are good to you, whether they are bad to you, whether they are friendly, whether they are unfriendly. When the heart of Christ is revealed, the first definitive experience is you will change your mind in how you see humanity regardless of how wicked they are. When you see people gossip, slander each other, fight each other, seek to revenge against each other, the heart of Christ is not revealed to them. They've not seen God a certain way. You can't walk certain paths in God and hate a man regardless of what they've done to you. You cannot. You can't. Even if you try, it fails. You get to a point where you start, you learn to bless those that hate you. It's not, like I said earlier in the first service, there are certain things that we cannot instruct. There are certain things that are embedded in the nature of the new creation. Like nobody teaches a mother hen to sit on her eggs. It doesn't go to Bible school for that. It doesn't see the other mother hen sitting on it. No, separate a mother hen from, from, from childhood, put it somewhere, let it get a male and let it get fertilization. Let it lay an egg. You will see it will sit on that egg. Because it's embedded in its nature. Those are things that God has given that being by its nature. There are things that are innate in us as human beings. And there are things that are innate in us as spiritual beings. Nobody teaches a human being to eat. All right? Babies know where food goes. Are you following what I'm saying? We just find that we know certain things. We just find that we know certain things. There are many, many, many things that some of us are so not conscious of these things. Why? Because we assume that they are supposed to be there, but in actual sense, that's not how so. Somebody shout amen. Shout amen. amen. So what I was trying to tell us is that there are things that if they're instructed but are besides the nature of the man the Lord instructing, those things are a wastage of time because it is as though God is trying to put in you what is not there. That's not how God deals with a new creation. He deals with a new creation by getting inside you and getting what is inside you to bring it out to show you this is in you. I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. The Bible says every seed, every, 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 every plant comes with its seed. Right? Every herb with its seed. Everything in Genesis, the Bible says, was created with its own seed in itself. That is why when God wanted to multiply man, the Bible says, 
he goes inside man because what he needed to multiply man was inside man. So he goes inside man, he gets the rib of that man, and out of that man he created a whole being, woman, right? And, and the Bible says he called her woman, for she came out of him, praise God. And that transition, and amazing, there's some deep there, men of God, go and do your studies, because the Bible says, and he called her woman. And at the fall, the Bible says, when she started to conceive, the Bible says he called her Eve, right? The transition of woman to Eve. It's a very special thing. Read. But what came out of Adam, right, was Eve. And through copulation, this woman has the ability to bring forth another life. That means whatever Adam needed to multiply was within himself. Are you following what I'm saying? Everything you need to multiply yourself is inside you. Even your finances, they're inside you. Even your career and success is inside you. The kind of children you want to have, they're inside you. God does not multiply through man, outside man. So if instruction is coming to you and the seed is not in you, right? Whatever we are speaking will be an affirmation, not a confirmation, and that is wrong. For the new creation, the words that come from this altar are supposed to be confirmations of affirmed realities in your spirit because you are born of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. The Bible says it liveth and abideth forever. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. So I remember one of those conferences, I'm seated. And then this wonderful minister is preaching the gospel. And then after that, he makes an altar call. And then he makes an altar call. The voice of God speaks very clearly in my heart. And I heard it very clearly in my spirit. He says, I'm going to make you feel what I feel when an altar call is given. It was the first experience that I had and it was like no other, and there are many things I could forget, but I'll never forget this. Why? Because the first thing for God to prove to me that this was God and it was in my mind, he told me everyone who was supposed to be born again that day and everywhere they were seated. It was almost as though in the spirit, I saw faces coming up, I could see three people here, four, four I saw everyone, before they went on the altar, I saw each face. And when the man of God makes the altar call, I started to hear groanings and mumblings in the spirit, right? As the heavenlies were preparing. You know, when the Bible says heaven rejoices over one soul, some of you, <laughs> some of you take it as simply as a figurative statement. That word is so deep. When the Bible says heaven re rejoices, eh? right? Over one sinner that repenteth. When an altar call is made, literally heaven is frozen. It's a reality that you have to feel when you do, nobody will tell you to preach the gospel. Nobody will tell you to win souls. Nobody will tell you to win souls. Nobody will plead with you to win souls. You'll do everything to win souls. You will go everywhere to win souls. 
you will approach everybody or anybody to win them. And that was an experience that I'll never forget. So I remember they make an altar call and then this pain goes on my soul and I find myself interceding and then I go on my knees and I start weeping heavily. It was so painful because I felt it was as though the embers of fire were burning my soul and consuming it that these men would come to Christ. And I remember every life that kept coming through in front that day, the fire was cooling and my soul was getting relieved. And then when they all come, three people failed to come, right? When three people refused to come, I saw those three women. I know where they were seated. I could see everything in the spirit. And then I remember the pain increased, the pain increased. And I wept and wept and wept and spoke in tongues and interceded. And thank God for this man. He continued insisting, I'll not close this until those people come. And the more they rejected God, the more I felt like it was killing me. And consequently, these three women determined to come through. And when they came through, somehow that's when everything left and I cleared up my mind. From that day, I can sense when a man has refused salvation. That's why many times in the meetings you hear me say there are two more, there are three more. There's somebody seated around there. Sometimes I would call and say, you woman, are you born again? Why? Because every time the door of salvation is opened, I'm conscious of the heart of God toward the soul. That's why I said the word of God will never make meaning until it becomes an experience in your soul. Why? Because you will feel after him. The Bible says, if happily, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He's saying, God is not far from you, but will you find him? If you will find him, you can only find him because you feel after. The word being an experience in your life gives you the revelation of the heart of God in the matter. Not only the mind, but the heart of God in the matter you will start handling every word precious. When he speaks of the days when the day of, 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 he says in that day, revelation was scarce. The word of the Lord was precious those days. I don't know that some of you have taken time to study the consequent days that led to the demise and the decimation of the spirit of revelation of the earth. Sometimes pain grips me so much that God has availed too much to many people. And let me tell you, there's a heavier judgment coming on men who know. He says if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, that city would still remain. In other words, God sometimes looks back and says, look, if the things that you are hearing now, people in the 14th and 12th and 10th century knew, a lot would have been preserved and the face of the gospel would be different. But we're living in a generation of people who God has given so much. And like Jeshurun, they're waxing fat and old because of what they're eating. And they esteem not the rock of their salvation. I have seen men detached from God because they have too much to eat. And I've seen men so scarce with the hunger of the word that they are willing to do anything for the words. Those who are with us in Burundi, you saw. Those guys are hungry. As in the UK, I saw. Those guys are hungry. You sit down with them and you could talk up to 5 a.m. They don't want you to stop. Right? And then there's somebody who listens to that word every day and there are still no more people. How can a man wax fat 
and kick because of how much God is giving him and then he esteems not the rock of his salvation. Simple, because when the word is given, many of them do not know the heart of God in what is given. Many of them know the mind and the hand of God, but many of them the heart of God is not revealed. These things some of you play around with, some people are paying hundreds of millions to get to, even their own lives. Even their own lives. If I get one time time to tell you through church history, how many men have died because of revelation, it would shock you. These things that we are saying, oh grace, New Testament, present truth, those things have gotten men killed. Men have lost their lives, have paid heavy prices for what is free and available for us and sometimes we esteem lightly. May God help us. May God help us. May God help us. But I have seen that until the word of God becomes an experience and the heart of God is revealed to you in everything God reveals, you will always esteem the word of God lightly. You will always esteem the word of God lightly. And so you say, but me, it's up to him that he doesn't give me the experience. No, it's not up to him. The experience comes when you give yourself wholly to these things. At least take the step to take the word of God serious. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, there are events that I've had in life where I've had experiences. And these experiences have come with a very feeling. And I thank God for those days. Because every time the feeling comes, I find him a certain way. I get to know him a certain way. I get to see him a certain way. I get to understand him a certain way. And that way is not given to many men. Like Paul says, how be this knowledge is not in all men. There is a knowledge that is not in all men. There are things that only a few people understand. Right now we are speaking, but our own children's children will judge these days. They will listen to these words and they will be so precious. So precious. So precious. Somebody shout hallelujah. I pray you take the word that way. So it's one of those days. Two weeks ago. I woke up in the morning, similar experience, and I just woken up like this before my brain comes through. I just hear the guy tell me, let's go. My spirit out of my body. And then when he does, the moment I carry consciousness in my spirit, I'm seeing Daniel. I'm in a den. I'm seeing lions all over. Now, until it happens to you, you can't understand it. There are experiences I've had about certain men of God. If I go to heaven, I can know who Elijah is. Because there are things I've seen. If I go to heaven, I know how Paul looks like. I can tell you how Peter looks like because I've seen some of those experiences. And sometimes it, I don't want to explain to people because we don't want to get unstable souls also. 
trying to lust for those experiences and then bring heresies in the body of Christ and bring things that are not in consonance to the word of God in the name of even me I saw. Because no marvel Satan translates himself even as an angel of light. By the time God takes people to such places, at least you know the difference. You're exercised in the spirit to know good and evil, to separate darkness and light. You see the thin line and you know when he comes another way. And I've rebuked some spirits that have come in a certain light and I would know this is not God. But it comes through the knowledge of the word. So, I've seen David. There are some I've seen. There are some I can tell you I might not know their face, but there are some I have seen by the Spirit. Nobody would, if Peter, James, John, who saw Elijah and Moses, the Bible says they saw these three men. You cannot tell me that Peter will go to heaven and not identify Elijah because he saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration. Praise God. He saw them. So some of them through those how did they know it was Elias? How did they know it was Moses? You can see and tell. The reality of the spirit does not need naming because the identity comes with the nature of the name. You can tell the person, an individual in the spirit because of who they are in God. Paul, we know. You understand? They know. They know. Spirit, the spirit world has named us so clearly. If your name is vague spiritually, it only means you don't have that much significance in the spirit realm. But you get to a certain place where the spirit realm identifies with even the name you carry. That is why I warn parents, don't just name your children names that you don't know the meaning thereof because you're simply naming. At least you're a generation that understands. Name children what you see of them in the spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. For he shall be called so because he shall be this he shall be called Noah because he shall save the world from the impending flood he shall be called this because he shall be is that you understand you must know how to name your children somebody shout amen, amen. so I'm carried into a den and I see Daniel and I see the lions but I see something very powerful too very 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 powerful that I understand my teachings on. For those of you who don't know that story, it is in Daniel chapter 6. The king, um, during that time, Darius, which had taken over Belteshazzar, he wants to rearrange the kingdom. And he wants to appoint 120 princes, or some versions call them governors. And above those governors are three presidents, of which Daniel was among. And the Bible says, as they served, the Bible says Daniel was preferred above all the presidents and the princes. The Bible says because in him was an excellent spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. And the king sought to set him over the whole realm, right? He had an excellent spirit. Of course, we all have definitions of excellent spirit. By the time I'm done, you'll understand the excellent spirit another way. The Bible says, of course, when the presidents and priests had these things. They were moved with rage and anger and they hated Daniel. 
and they want that mayhem and calamity will befall him. And I always tell people, where favor is, persecution is. Where favor is, hatred is. Where favor is, rejection is. The problem with some of you, you focus on the rejection and not the favor that came before. You focus on what men have said and not the favor that God put upon you. Like the message Bible says, it was that favor that brought you to the notice of others. Somebody shout hallelujah. There are some of you, the newspapers don't know you, radio doesn't know you, television doesn't know you. You're making yourself known to Facebook every day, but the people who want to know you are few. You're... Praise God. And on the other hand, there are men whose WhatsApp you don't have, they're not on Facebook, they're not on Twitter, they're not on Instagram, they're not on Skype, they're not anywhere, but they're in the newspapers, they're on radio, they're on TV, they're on YouTube, they're on Facebook Live, they're everywhere, they're on the blogs, they're written about, they're talked about, good things and bad things, but they're not on Facebook. Somebody shout hallelujah. May God make your name great. May you not seek the attention of men, no. When favor comes upon your life, hey, even if you hide, they will look for you. Praise God. Praise God. So I was saying, where favor is, you'll be, you'll attract a certain, good and bad. Eh? Praise God. That's why I tell people, sometimes, I don't know that you do it, but me, I do it. Sometimes I raise my hands and I thank God for those who hate me, those who attack me. Those, you understand? Because the message Bible says, it was that thing on you that brought you to the notice of others. There was a time, uh-huh, read it. He says, if you are abused because of Christ, Christ uh-huh, read, one, two, let's go. Uh-uh, one, two, let's go. If you are abused because of Christ, he says what? Count yourself what? Fortunate, uh-huh. It is the spirit of God and his glory in you, uh-huh, that brought you to the notice of others. Oh, glory. Come on, come on, clap your hands to Jesus and say. Some of you, they never knew you. But now they talk about you. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I pray may they continue talking about you. I, I hope you understand what I mean by that. I pray may your name not leave certain men's lips. Because that only means God will only continue placing more glory and glory and glory upon your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There are people who are dying to be noticed. There are people who are running away from notice. But glory is attracting noticers. <laughs> Woo! And you're like that. Praise God. That's who you are. Tell your neighbor, that's who I am. Yes, I don't run to glory. I mean, I don't run to notice. Noticers run to me. Praise God. He says you're the light of the world. What do you expect of the world that is in darkness? They will look for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. They will look for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Of course, like Job says, some abuse the light. Some set themselves against the light. That thing is powerful. Job says it somewhere. He says that some set themselves against the light. But it is light. Somebody shout hallelujah. It is what? 
It is light. So these guys prefer and say, you know what? This guy has become so successful. What do we do? Let's put something against. You, you wrote it? There are those that rebel against the light. Yeah. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the parts thereof. Yeah. Some people rebel against the light. The light comes and they sit and then they attack it falsely. But that's okay. It's, it's light. Anyway, back to the story. So, this guy says, if we have anything against this guy, the only way we can get him is to set a commandment against the law of his God. That means Daniel was a man so imbued in the things of the spirit that if you needed to attack him, you had to use something connected to him and his God. <laughs> Woo. The Bible says they sought for fault in him and found none. The chap was perfect. He wakes up early, irons his clothes, brushes his shoes, he's on time, eats right, sleeps right, doesn't quarrel, doesn't complain, doesn't gossip. Like, now what? Praise God. So the Bible says he was faithful and there was neither any error of or fault found in him. Excellent fellow. Anangi God. Jehovah. Praise God. I know you don't understand what I mean. The Bible says, so they go to the king and tell him, oh king, we, the presidents and all the governors have come in unison of agreement to say that you should put aside a royal law that for 30 days no man shall pray to any other God. I hope you see that it's a capital G there. Oh man for 30 days accept you. And if any man does otherwise, let him be thrown into a den of lions like the law of the Medes and the Persians say, which cannot be what? Altered. And the king what? Agrees because he also wanted some pumps. Praise God. And then the king signs put signet on, and the instruction is sent in the land. And when the instruction is sent in the land, the scriptures tell us that these same guys go to the king and say, didn't you sign a law that forbids any man to call to any God? Praise God. Daniel is doing it. Because the scriptures tell us the moment that law has passed, Daniel goes up in his chamber opens the window to Jerusalem and the Bible says, and he gives thanks before his God. Somebody shout hallelujah. He, he, he didn't go to God saying, now see, they're refusing us to pray. Oh no, as it was usual, it was as business as usual. It's as though he had not had the instruction. But most importantly, the Bible says he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Not bothered, not concerned, not disturbed, not losing peace, not losing appetite, not worried at all, not concerned. He knew something that many of these men did not know. Praise God. And I always tell people that we have te told you many times and I've always insisted that God is a pattern. You must understand God as a pattern. Thanksgiving is a pattern of the spirit. 
It is not something to be instructed to a man. It is something that is supposed to be confirmed reminder of an affirmed experience of regenerated spirit in God. You, we are not supposed to teach you to thank God. We are supposed to remind you that you are a thanking entity because he has perfected that which concerns you or he will perfect that which concerns you. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. All things work together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. He has good plans for you. Plans for good and not evil. Plans to make you prosper, not to harm you. To give you that hope and expected end. Somebody shout hallelujah. You are confident that your end is of the Lord. You are confident that he wills that nothing will befall you. You are confident that ten will fall and ten thousand on the other hand but none of those things shall in any means harm you. You are confident that you shall not be afraid of what flies by night and what flies by day of the plague and the... He, you are confident of this one thing. That he which began a good work in you, he shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. You are confident of this one thing, that he is the author and the finisher of your faith. You're confident that he is able to keep you until that day of redemption because you are kept by the power of God unto salvation, which cannot be what? Repented. You're confident that he is the father of lights in whom is no shadow of turning within and from whom all good gifts and perfect gifts come from. You're confident that he owns you. It's supposed to be a nature issue. Like a hen sits on her eggs. Thanksgiving is supposed to be a nature issue, not a teaching issue. If it is teaching, we are reminding you of your nature. We're not telling you to be it. We're telling you that you are it because you know who you have believed. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the man of God is, is praying to God every three days. And I said that we are teaching the patterns of the spirit. We've taught you the issues of submission, accountability, working, serving your heart, and all these kinds of things, availing yourself, faith, confession, what you see, what you perceive, lifting up. All of these are patterns of the spirit. But I've said, and I said it in the first service, that we cannot teach about the patterns of the spirit without revealing the, the altar of these patterns. Because all these patterns are sacrifices. But if sacrifices are not brought to the altar, they cannot leave. Praise God. Even the Christ, which was killed on the altar, he was raised from the dead. The figure, picture of the same story is Abraham, his son, Isaac. Isaac did not die on that altar, but Abraham killed him. In principle, Abraham killed his son, but he received back his son from the dead like the Christ is, because nothing sacrificed on the altar of God really dies. But when it's sacrificed, it looks like it is dying. But nothing sacrificed on the altar of the person of God dies. So we cannot teach the patterns of the spirit without revealing the altar. Some people say, oh, you know what? I tithe like you. I submit like you. I serve like you. I give like you. I believe like you. I perceive like you. Yes, but what makes us different is the altar. Many times we reveal the patterns of the spirit, but many men don't carry the revelation of the altar from which these patterns are built, from which these sacrifices are put. When you teach men all these principles, you must also show them how 
the embers are churned on your altar. How the fire is lit in the consummation of these things because what is consuming of God cannot kill. That's why the burning bush was not consuming. Somebody shout hallelujah because there was God in it. And I am trying so much that we want to expose some of you to this altar so you understand the source, so you understand how it works, so you understand the realities of this altar, so you understand how to relate with God a certain way. Because when you relate with God a certain way, everything you do without comes to that altar. The Bible says we have an altar from which they have no right to eat thereof. Right? And because they're under that covenant, it doesn't matter how many principles they will do, certain things will work for them, but there are certain things that will hold them back because it will produce only priests with infirmity. But the altar from which we are, the Bible says, gives the Son, which is perfect and consecrated forever. Somebody shout hallelujah. And you are seated in this Son. He is seated on the right-hand side of the Lord, the Father. Somebody shout hallelujah. You're seated in the heavenly places with him. You are not to be with infirmity. You are not to see weakness in your acts. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, but you know it's normal for human beings. No, 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 no. You're talking of human beings. You're not talking of the new regenerated spirit in Christ Jesus. That one is perfect. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you've understood it, say amen. amen. So, they conspire. But this man had an altar. He had a way he knew God. And the Bible tells us, the king was so displeased, the soul in himself. He was so sad. He regretted it. And the Bible says he spent the whole day doing whatever he could to see that he could tell Galet Daniel off the hook. He would save him by adventure. But you see, the law of the Medes and the Persians he inquired of the king and told him, look, you owe to fulfill your vow. And what happens? Beyond and against himself, he gets Daniel and throws him in a den of lions. And the scriptures tells us that the whole night, the king lost sleep. He even refused to invite the musicians that used to sing for him and play harps for him before he could get to bed. The Bible says he fasted the whole night and ate nothing. Why? Because he was troubled. And in the morning, he was the first man to go to that den. And he cries out, O Daniel, servant of the Most High, has the Lord saved you from the hand of the lion? And Daniel replies the king. And he tells him that I have been preserved by the same God. The Bible says then the king, my God, verses 22, he says, has sent his angels and has shut the lion's mouths that they could not hurt me for as much as before him, oh wait, for as much as before him, innocence was found in me and also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. And the Bible says, and the king was exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel, the Bible says, was taken up, not, uh, sorry, out of the den. And the Bible says, no manner of heart was found upon him. The Bible says, because he believed his God. That is where my vision and experience began. I find myself in this cave. I see Daniel is, is like in that corner. He's like in this corner. 
and I see many lions surrounding this man and I see all of these things having peace with him and that's when the Lord asks me in that very den in the vision he asks me and I was awake my body was awake but my spirit was gone it was a sort of a vision I was taken and that's when the spirit of the Lord says how much faith was operating on this man and how much faith does your generation profess? You see, I have been to a national park. One time I was in the national park and the cat died. In a national park. Now, I've had an opportunity <laughs> to be near a lion. Now, this guy is narrating. He's saying, you see these animals, if you don't touch them, they'll do nothing to you. I'm on the window. I don't even know why I booked a window. And this window doesn't have glass. They're just metals. Two metals only, one and one in the middle. I can see that through this middle metal, a head of a lion can go through very well. Now you see, when you're a new creation, Calopsia Meraki, you're a confessor of the New Testament, regenerated in Christ. I shall fear no evil, 10,000 what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, none of those things shall be Mama, Mama. Who has been in a game park near? No, I'm not talking about when there are cages. Eh? I'm talking about when the thing is there. Put up your hand. Oh, those beasts. And so there was this shit big male lion with like two wives. I call them its wives. There were like two women there surrounding it like this. You understand? And it was under. And you know, it, it were here. The lion was like there. And the man says, now I rehearsed everything I know about wild beasts. I remembered one thing I saw in Discovery where they say when a lion attacks you, Simaya, don't move. I froze a bit. You understand? I remember this, that, that thing on Day Discovery that there's those animals, sometimes they hate looking at them straight in the eye. I throw like this, I come back. You understand? Behind me, there's like a very excited white guy. Oh my God, this is so awesome. He's putting his head out. I'm like, I'm imagining every bad thing. At that point, I'm asking myself, Apostle Grace Luega, what are you doing here? Who understands what I'm saying? That's when it dawns on me that this thing could actually change its course. You know, I told people that don't confuse Daniel for the consciousness in Adam and Eve before the fall. The consciousness in Adam and Eve before the fall was that the consciousness of a little child, a five, four-month-year-old child, when they see a beast. You understand? When a three or four-month-year-old child sees a beast, they are not conscious of its heart. They can go to a snake. They can walk to a dog. They can walk to a lion, anything. And amazingly, many of these creatures don't harm them. Many children are not harmed by wild animals. Not many are. You understand? Because they don't look at them as threat. You understand? That's a consciousness of uh, the first Adamic nature. But before the fall, every creature, the Adamic was like that because creation 
the Adamic was not conscious of the enmity and corruption in creation. And creation was not an enemy, nor corrupted toward mankind. Some of you don't know that mosquitoes before the fall of man did not have plasmodia because there was no reason for them to give malaria. Malaria is a formation of plasmodia, right? Plasmodia is a formation in the insect because corruption turned its course against humanity. Lions never used to look at human beings as some to eat. They were not enemies to Adam and Eve. Nothing was an enemy to Adam and Eve. But now, eh? I know people one time went somewhere <laughs> and before someone walked out of the says, do you have dogs? <laughs> you first tell me before you come out, do you, they have gone to visit, do you have dogs? And at that point, the, the face is serious, do you know? Before you come out, do you have dogs? Tell me, do you? Until we have them, they are locked where? That side, okay, you stand there. Says that when I'm coming out, I'm sure that I'm with you. And the consciousness that there is a dog, the way they even enter the house. <laughs> but they've told you the dog is locked away. No, you have a dog. So, when man fell, creation changed course and had enmity on man. That's why floods are killing us. That's why men drown. Adam and Eve, even if they were not good swimmers, they would go underwater and water would not drown them. But now creation has turned its course against man. It's not that Adam needed gills to be underwater. It's that water was subject to man that it would not kill him. But now today even water kills. Everything can kill. People are asthmatic this morning because it's cold. Air God created. Thank God for the freedom and liberty that we have in Christ. Because in there, we can turn every enemy. We can speak. A great revivalist called Apollo Vebola I spoken of. He was going to preach, I think, towards Rwanda or something. And then he, they go through a bush and then he finds a lion. You heard of that story? Chivebulaya found a lion with two friends of his. And the lion charged. And they said, Chivebulaya, the guys who wrote, the two guys who were there, they said, he just looked at it in the face and said, Rika Branda, Jibroko Sikatari Brosika. <laughs> Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> and the lion walked away and understood what the man was saying. Sherebroko Taramanda. The Bible tells you these lions, in fact, the scriptures tell you when the king got them out, he got those guys, they were probably more than 120, and the Bible says, with his wife, where are their wives? And their children. And the Bible says, and they were thrown into the what? The den. The message Bible says that the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel be thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children before they hit the floor. I want you to understand what was on these lions. The story says before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws before. You understand? You know, as, as they're throwing a man, eh, the lion can't wait for him. It jumps, I want to find you in air. You understand? Like it wants to be caught up with. You understand? Eh? It, it, it can't even stand the thought that this person has to first land. When the Bible says the angel of the Lord shut the mouths of these lions, it means they were still opposed by nature to the human the humanness of the man, right? 
but they were held by God. And I would see a lion saying, Daniel, you look salt, condiments. You need to understand that these beasts were not five, they were not six. If they mauled more than 120 people with their wives and children, that means that the king had a farm of many beasts. There were probably more than 100 and so. And they are all there. Just the consciousness of me being next to three. Yet we have a guide and there are many people it can choose from. And although me... <laughs> you understand? I, had my, I know I have some speed. I'm a basketballer. By the time it comes, the speed I have, it could save me because I could see in the car there were some women who couldn't run. Man, when you come next to that beast, that's when you understand why they call it the king. That thing. Even just the, even when it's breathing. Shirebroko talamande. Now, this is what the man of God was set into. And you see him with no consciousness of fear. And you might think it was a passive experience of, oh God, the lions are here, save me. No, they throw the man in and he's learning and he's looking at them and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, who wants some of me? Because he knows he's God. The Bible says, because he believed he's God. You people, you must understand what comes on certain men. I gave an example of David. Look at David. The Bible says he stood before Saul and says, my master, my king. When a lion and a bear came to eat one of my young ones, I would go chase after that lion. You understand? A lion is holding a, a, a sheep. It's running away with it in the mouth. David chases it. Are you hearing me? And when he chases it, eh? he chases it. He goes after it. He gets the thing out of its mouth. And the Bible says, and when it comes against me, I get in its beard and tear it. 17 years old. That was more than power. If you watch Nat Geo, you see what this jaw does to a buffalo. You see what this jaw does to an antelope. You see what this jaw does when it settles into a giraffe. Are you hearing me? And then a 17-year-old guy with a certain god and an altar goes to the same beast and gets its mouth and... Oh! And smote him and slew him. Then he tells him, and you tell me, Goliath? Oh, Who? And even says, on top of that, has even defiled the armies of God. I mean, the lions haven't. (laughs) Then you're telling me about this uncircumcised Philistine. That one, I don't even need to attack or direct. I just need to swing this thing. It will find its direction. That's when I realized, oh my God. Now, this is the thing that has been on me for two weeks. Thinking to myself, faith. And you says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Why is it substance and evidence? Because God wants to grow you and your faith. I want you to listen to this. To a level where the spiritual world is of more reality, source, material, and conscious than the physical things you see. If this is a woolen jacket, and I tell you it's for 10,000 shillings, and then I make another jacket out of a polythene bag, Cavera, right? Transparent poison, but and I tell you, this jacket too is 10,000 shillings. What will you buy? You'll buy the jacket of wool, 
Why? Because of its durability, because of its quality, because you know when you pull it, it will not what? Tear. But this one of whatever, it will tear quickly. It will expose itself to light quickly. Anything that touches it, it goes. Are you hearing me? That is the best way I can explain to you the physical world, the spiritual world, and the faith. The Cavera jacket, right? The polythene jacket is the physical world. The woolen jacket is the spiritual world. The 10,000 is faith. The faith that you have, the 10,000, is what can buy both the polythene suit and the woolen suit. But he says, but you will trust the woolen suit because of its durability and the quality and how much it takes to tear it versus the polythene. And God says, so is the unseen world and the seen world. You have to get to the level where if God tells you walk on air and there is ground here, you fear to step on the ground and you step on... Did you get what I just said? That if God tells you walk on water and there is dry ground here, you'd suspect dry ground to swallow you before the water does because he has created reality, authenticity, power, and tenacity on his word to become more real, to walk on water than the physical land that is there. That your faith would easily run on water before it steps on the ground. That when you're running on water, you go with this confidence and when you're stepping on the ground, you need to check whether you won't sink in the ground. That is called faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. And that is the faith God calls us to. And for us, they ask you, what is faith? He says, oh, faith is a substance. This is hope for evidence. It's in that material. And then they ask you, oh, how does it come? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I ask you, what did Daniel quote? What, what scriptures was David opening? Tell your neighbor, understand your altar. I'm not in any way watering down these books. But these are 40 writers canonized to deal with the heresies of that day. And I'm not saying that these scriptures are wrong. I'm only saying there are things that were put there, there are things that were not put there. There are many things. The Shepherd of Hermas, the Revelation of Who. There are many, many things that were not included here. And we don't want to even judge whether they were right or wrong. The book of Enoch, the case of Enoch, is it? There are many things, if you read through church history, there were many writings that were ignored. Right? The revelation of Peter. Simon, I think, or whoever. There's a couple of things I read. But you see, we, maybe these men who studied these words were sure that they were not necessary to put. I will trust them. I don't mind because I don't know. Right? But you see, I have thought for a moment that these are simply 40 letters that the early church agreed and said, these we can trust. And with these 40 writers, sorry, the lame have walked, the blind have seen, economies have been built, cathedrals have been built, stadiums have been filled, the dead have been raised, governments have been changed, political systems have been changed, social systems have been changed, education systems have been changed, businesses have been changed, localities have been changed, nations have been changed, continents have been flipped on 40 writers. New Testament, big part of it are letters to churches, not sermons. He preached on a daily. 
And yet they would tell you Paul would speak for probably more than six hours. Yet through these letters, the gospel, the church has been preserved and life is in the church every day because we believe on these things. But Paul did not have these letters early. All he had was the Old Testament. Before the translations of the white leaves from the New Testament, the original one was the Latin Vulgate. And that thing had already been twisted and read by a few special people. To the time when the William Tyndalls translate the scriptures, John Wycliffe translated it in English. You know what happened? They killed him. They killed him. They burnt his body to stake. William Tyndall, who translated the New Testament and the Old Testament from the Greek Hebrew to English, he was killed. Because Satan knew that when you access only these 40 writers, the church will continue. Daniel didn't have 40 writers. David did not have 40 writers. Are you hearing me? But he had faith toward God. How did his faith come? When the Bible speaks of reading the word logos, I tell people, we've heard theologians saying logos is the written word. Logos is not the written word. The Bible says in the beginning was logos. Logos existed before even it was written. Are you hearing me? Logos is not the written word. No. They say logos is a written and rhema is the spoken. No. No, no, no. I disagree. Logos existed before even anybody ever wrote. He says in the beginning was logos and logos was with God and logos was God and nothing that is made was made without logos. In him was light, life. And that light shines in darkness. And darkness comprehended him not. And then we discover Logos is the person of Jesus Christ. That is the invisible one Moses saw. That is the invisible one Elijah saw. That is the invisible one Daniel saw. That is the invisible one David saw. Before they had anything written, Jesus is bigger than these books. Now, if I have all of that testimony plus this, and I can't believe God to get me out of the mouth of a lion, then our dispensation has lost something. Far be it from us if we cannot believe God more than those men did. It's simple. The word is not a revelation. The word of God is not a revelation in a certain way. I have believed God to do things that have never been written in scripture. When I saw these things, I put a light on myself and I asked God, do this dealing within me because I've realized I'm a man of faith and believe me, I believe. You've seen tumors living, you've seen the lamb walking in these meetings, you've seen the deaf and blind here, but God tells me that is nothing compared to what is coming toward the church. That is why this is a year of understanding faith. Moral of the story, point to note the things that I've intended to speak since I began speaking. Believe God deeper. I want you to make a solemn commitment to God and tell him, you know what, God, because of this message tonight, I'm ready to believe you. Deeper than I have. We have to believe God a certain way. 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 Can you raise your voice and start to speak to God?
I believe in you God 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 come on I want you to speak to God this morning tell him God we are choosing to believe you God if these men had no manuscripts to quote but they carried the affirmation of the spirit to shut the mouths of lions to quench the darts and swords the Bible says and they subdued kingdoms and women received their dead he says what more can we say of Jephthah we, we have to God, we are believing you. May God cause you to experience what we feel, what I see. May God cause you to feel after. May God cause you to visit that place. May he show you faith. God, we are believing you. We are believing you. We are believing you, God. We are believing you. We are believing you. We have believed. We have believed. Shirere bros. Ricarandosa. We have believed. Rosebro Nakashara. Rabazo Bracata Rababa. Shire Rico Sondo Robo Bobo. Shire Kebracota Raba. Shire Rabayoga. God, we have believed your word. We believe you for great things. We believe you, God, to change this world. We believe you, God, for more faith than Daniel and David had. No fear in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you because our faith is absolute it is strong it is true and definitely will do more in Jesus mighty name we pray and believe and all saints said so if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ you're not born again I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior okay you're going to repeat these words after me say Jesus today I have heard your word tonight my heart believes 
you died and rose again for me. My mouth confesses that you are Savior and Lord of my life. From today, I'm born again. Amen. God bless you.